Welcome to the Internationalism Global Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram for more updates. Never be the same, know the world beyond. Hello listeners, this is Mirutpal Bhattacharya. Welcome to the first episode of AI Now. We have with us today Ankita Malik, research member at the Indian Society of AI and Law. We shall be discussing and understanding the recommendations report drafted by her and her co-author Navthavan on August 10th, which has been submitted to the Niti Ayo, Government of India, on the call for recommendations for a draft paper, published by the body on July 21st, 2020 on Responsible AI. Their recommendations are indeed brilliant and have been received well. So today we have an opportunity of getting to know the concept firsthand from the authors themselves. We shall also be enlightened by the authors upon the recommendations that they have put in and also they shall be answering a few questions. So here we go. Right off the bat, I'd like to invite Abhivardhan sir, founder, chairperson and managing trustee of the ISAIL and internationalism to brief us and the listeners on the concept of responsible AI itself. Over to you, sir. Uh, thank you so much, Nudhupal, for inviting me to the podcast. So, as we're discussing responsible AI and uh, this uh, draft paper by the Niti IO, we must understand that responsible AI, like explainable AI and all that, which is a compound aspect of artificial intelligence in management sciences and computer sciences is a developing concept. So for India, one thing is for sure that since we are uh, allies to the West a lot, yet we say we are non-aligned ideally, we will have a leaning towards how the West reacts. But the best part is that like Africans, Indians have a very interesting opportunity that they can economize or whatever they have. And that's where responsible AI comes in because economics and rule of law actually merge here. So beyond social responsibility and cultural responsibility, which is a very deeper and complex issue, a responsible AI approach for India perhaps is related with the idea as to how we will deal with it, how we will decide the juristic persona how we will make the decision-making and adjudicatory mechanisms. And when we know that there is a sense of limited globalization and the rise of splinterness, then how will this work out? So I'll pass the baton to you, Murupal, and uh, now you can continue. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Now the first question to Ankita is, with reference to the black box problem, it's in a general sense said to refer to the inability of a human being, often the programmer himself, in trying to figure out why an artificial intelligence system made a certain decision. Owing to numerous complex procedures occurring simultaneously, 
which is too overwhelming for a programmer or any user to reverse engineer to reach the root of the decision which was made. What exactly might the problems be and how severe do you think can they be? Right. Thank you, Ms. Atpal. Um, so your question, I'll answer it in two parts. Uh, firstly, with regard to what exactly might the problem be. Now, the black box problem is basically when there's a lack of information with regard to how the particular AI has reached that particular conclusion. Um, so in this case, the deep neural network, which is operating with the help of artificial neurons, it processes such complex data that it also it makes it close to impossible to ascertain how that particular decision was concluded. So this primarily is termed as the problem of transparency. Um, apart from that, there's another reason for the same for the black box problem, and that is the issue of dimensionality. So here, support vectors are used by the artificial intelligence, and the same cannot be visualized by humans. So as is rightly pointed out in the working document itself, there might be instances where, uh, where there are spurious correlations, which would not create errors in the data set or the test sets, but they could prove to be a big problem during actual deployment. And especially since we don't know how the correlation was uh, arrived at, this would create a policy problem. The second part comes in as to how severe can they be? Now, we related to the policy question. So the policy question here, as it directly relates, is to building trust. So we need to build trust within the artificial intelligence system. And how do we do that? All the users, endpoints, all the parties involved, they should understand how that artificial intelligence comes to a certain conclusion. Um, if the methodology followed for the decision-making process itself is known, it ultimately affords more credibility and reliability to the decision. So also with regard to a weaker black box problem, it can still be reverse engineered. However, uh, the problem becomes more severe when we're dealing with black boxes or artificial intelligence, which have stronger black boxes and they're working autonomously. So this entire policy problem is based on the recognized principle that there needs to be some sort of transparency for credible functioning. And uh, this uh, should be uh, used during the deployment of the artificial intelligence itself. Okay. Okay, moving on. When talking about dimensionality, you talked about dimensionality and support vectors. Uh, what are these support vectors and what do they mean? Right. So here some machine learning algorithms are opaque to human beings. Um, and this is because they arrive at decisions by looking at a lot of variables at once. So what they do is they find geometric patterns amongst these variables, and this cannot primarily be uh, visualized by human beings. So what the SVM or the support vector machine does is it illustrates this. So uh, sometimes it might happen that the SVMs don't use straight lines to divide data, they, uh, that, which is basically a mathematical method which is uh, used by the SVMs for uh, nonlinear divisions. So when that happens, when the number of variables or the features provided to a support vector machine becomes so large, it is virtually impossible to visualize how that model is simultaneously drawing distinctions between data based on all of these numerous features. So an AI that uses SVMs to process uh, dozens or perhaps hundreds of variables 
would thus be a black box problem to humans and uh, because of the dimensionality of the model itself now even if the svm is shallow relatively to a deep neural network the problem of dimensionality would um, not allow us to understand how exactly has the svm come to that conclusion all right and in reference to these problems how might the doctrine of intent be affected Right. So this uh, takes us to the legal implications of uh, having artificial intelligence interface uh, within our daily lives. So as we talked uh, before about the issues of transparency and dimensionality, which ultimately give rise to the black box problem, um, we look at what legal implications they might have. So like you said, what um, might the uh, how might the doctrine of intent be affected by such problems? So intent tests have appeared throughout the history of law. and they've been constantly developing uh, in order to aid courts uh, basically to understand and regulate human conduct so why do we consider this important is because of the fact that it it is a means of finding out whether a person intended to cause the particular outcome to occur or not so an intent may determine the severity of the pen, uh, penalty whether that severity is appropriate to what extent should the person uh, be liable so the problem which arises here is that machines and computers inherently they don't have intent so where do we move forward from there um the black box problem again further intensifies the situation as we don't even now understand how or why did the machine come to that particular conclusion let alone uh, let alone knowing the intent so uh, the tests which have been formulated over the years in order to determine intent and causation they would ultimately be of very little use in this scenario so there might be a lot of issues connected um to various legal doctrines which use the aspects of mens rea or intent and causation um since uh, since machine as i said earlier machines and computer programs don't have intent so where do we move forward from there okay so that was about the part of the machines now with reference to the machine bias problem in the earlier years of criminology Racial biases were present throughout the Western world. They are still present. Individuals of color were seen as potential criminals. As bizarre and as it may sound, individuals who had bodily abnormalities or defects or long hands or legs were considered to be criminals. Women with warts, molasses were considered to be witches and were executed during the same witch hunts. Further, into the future, racial biases were still present. In fact, we have seen a recent case where police brutality was exhibited concerning an individual of color in the U.S., a first world country, a superpower. So, considering these unfortunate events, won't it be wise to say that bias is an inherent bacterium that we cannot get rid of, especially in a country such as India, which has not seen the levels of advancement in terms of technology that the Western world has seen? Also. the same biased individuals might actually program an artificial intelligence system so what is to stop them from programming their biases into the system thank you milpa this is in fact a very interesting question um so again i would be relating it to the black box problem um so here the programmer may not be able to predict or recognize how or why a decision was made by the ai so it can result in uh, some incorrect decisions which ultimately cannot be traced so it could lead to the exclusion of certain members of society 
from benefits that they are entitled to by the state. So for example, um, an artificial intelligence uh, system is used to determine the eligibility of certain members of the society for certain for a certain scheme of the government. Now, if the data sets um, are inherently biased, the output that is going to be received is again going to be biased. And due to that, a lot of people might be removed from the ambit of benefit. And another example, as you said, uh, with regard to the bias that has been existing, can be seen uh, where an artificial intelligence was used to predict recidivism, and it acted in a largely discriminatory manner where um, it concluded that people of color were more prone to recidivism. So this stems from the problem of machine bias inherently. Now, even though it is an extremely severe problem, I would disagree with the statement that it cannot be cured. Um, further, it's important to understand that machines are not inherently biased. This bias results from the data sets that are used. And an inquiry into the data sets used does offer an explanation to the bias uh, that a machine has incorporated over a period of time. So giving an example of how we can battle these biases, uh, let's look at one of the examples of what IBM has been doing. So IBM has been developing methodologies which would help in reducing machine bias even when the initial training data sets are not available. So what they've developed is a three-level rating system, which is used for ascertaining the level of relative fairness uh, by rating the same on parameters of uh, presence of bias or inherent, inheritance of bias or the capability to introduce bias, regardless of whether the training data sets are uh, available or not. And again, uh, focusing and aiming at more democratized data would uh, definitely help pro uh, reduce the problem of uh, bias. All right. So it's more about the contamination of the data sets provided by these members of the of the, these people who are programming the AIs who happen to be inherently biased. So on that note, how can possibly a contaminated data set be identified? Um. Right. So in order to identify these contaminated data sets, I would say it's first very important to understand the problem. What are we dealing with? Um, so data sets about human beings are particularly susceptible to bias, uh, whereas data about the physical world is less susceptible due to the issue of objectivity. Uh, but the bias showing up in an artificial intelligence isn't an automatic sign of uh, deliberate or malicious, malicious injunction of the programmer's bias into their project. So it's not always that if um, a contaminated data set is detected or um, it, it is due to the fact that uh, the programmer has intentionally embedded the same. These um, are programs that are simply reflecting the example of biases that already exist. So this might be existing so social prejudices, or uh, cultural assumptions that have a history of being published. So I'll give you an example. So for example, um, a word embedding model. So initially the data training set that was put had the word CEO and upon uh, the algorithms working, the word embedding model embedded the word man with CEO. So this is primarily a reflection of existing societal pre uh, prejudices uh, that are there in the society. But again, it is uh, also be to be taken into consideration that data engineers can also introduce other avenues of bias by their use of restrictive data sets. Therefore, our focus should be on both creating uh, an unbiased data set 
as well as unbiased AI algorithms, which flow from, which are mainly connected to each other. And the second thing is that people uh, who are working in the field, they must uh, recognize biased data and they should actively seek to counteract it. Now, one important thing that, uh, that this requires or uh, this recognition requires is training. We need to train the people to detect what, uh, where uh, exactly the bias stems from, or if the outputs uh, that are being given out are, are biased. Uh, but uh, if you're asking us whether um, contaminated data sets at the very outset can be identified, it is humanly impossible to identify the same. However, we can um, increase the amount of test sets uh, in order to validate the final outputs that does come out of the air. But per se, just by looking at it or uh, by a very preliminary approach, we cannot identify a contaminated data set. All right, so it's more like checking, checking, checking and cross-checking. Well, with reference to the significance allotted to articles 13 and 14 of the GDPR in your paper, could you please enlighten us on the state provisions and their relevance? Sure. So again, I bring um, into consideration the concepts of um, transparency and whether this transparency is achievable or not. And uh, we thought a good source to draw uh, that from would be the General Data Protection Regulation. Uh, now, Section 13 of the GDPR, it provides for a system of consent along with a system of checks and balances. So here, there is an accountability that has been uh, maintained upon the controller. So it states that if any personal data relating to a data subject is collected, then the controller will provide that person with certain prescribed information. Whereas section 14, it deals with information to be provided where personal data has not been obtained from the data subject. So when both of these are combined, it provides a sort of a solution for the problem of reliability because since there is accountability and there is transparency in terms of information dissemination, there is again going to be a, more trust is going to be embedded into the system. So uh, the relevance of this is primarily to build trust and which will ultimately uh, help us achieve our aim of uh, ethics in AI. So with reference to accountability of an artificial intelligence system, could you please elaborate on the concept of applying vicarious liability to artificial intelligence systems in a pro-rata fashion? Um, yes. So considering that the black box problem is um, very prominent right now and we haven't developed a solution for it, um, it is important to customize pre-existing rules for assigning accountability for any harm, which has arisen from maybe a specific action of the artificial intelligence. So one such possibility is that of the principle of vicarious liability. Uh, now, uh, anyone who knows about the principle of like vicarious liability uh, would understand that this cannot have a blanket uniform application here wherever credibility has been compromised. However, the same can be applied with a pro rata approach. So in terms of circumstances where the AI was designed to achieve a specific task or the probability of externalizing the failure on others is higher, this would attract a stricter application of the liability principle. Now, this is specific for situations where the black box problem was very strong and the AI was working autonomously and was um, taking independent decisions. So. In these cases, why do we uh, say that there must be liability imposed on the user or creator? Because a lack of transparency 
should not insulate the user or creator from the AI liability. Um, instead, the risks of deploying a black box problem autonomously in such a setting should fall on the AI user or creator because ultimately um, the artificial intelligence was used uh, notwithstanding its unpredictable and impenetrable decision-making. And for situations where the probability of externalizing risk is lower, we could always use the test of foreseeability to help determine whether the consequences which occurred uh, were they apparent or reasonably foreseeable or not. So we can definitely divide it into two, uh, um, two ways in which the vicarious library can be applied. Okay. So back to brass tacks. How receptive would you say India as a nation, as a society, will be towards the advent of artificial intelligence into the daily life? And what might the initial reactions and repercussions be? Um, right. So uh, before I answer this question, let's look at where India ranks according to the um, Government AI Readiness Index that was compiled by Oxford Insights and the International Development Research Center. So India ranks 17th. And if we look at the programs that are uh, being uh, set up right now, we have the Niti Aayog's AI for All initiative, which is again working for better AI regulation and promotion mechanism. And um, so basically, uh, we the working document also looks at these umbrella legislations that are already existing. So for example, the Consumer Protection Act, which can be used in certain instances or for certain specific uh, circumstances. But if we are looking for more AI-specific laws, um, we're slowly moving towards it. Um, and an example of that could be SEBI's circular on AI ML applications. Uh, however, a characteristic feature of this has been that uh, these laws and these legislations, they were focused around solving the problems relating to security and privacy. So when we're, uh, when we're talking about the initial reactions or the repercussions, it'll uh, depend a lot upon what the government does and what is the level of trust building that has been undertaken. Okay. So the arrival of artificial intelligence into our daily lives and commerce would assert an industrial revolution. That much is for sure. But the disruptive nature of an artificial intelligence would ensure job losses which would cause poverty to rise eventually. How do you think that is to be tackled? Also, what new opportunities do you think